the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather for ordered worship to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. On this Reformation Sunday, we gratefully acknowledge the gift this year to Marsh Chapel of a new altar Bible provided by the Massachusetts Bible Society to grace our altar, worship, and community life and to consecrate the way our feet may go. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Again and tragically, we gather for public ordered worship come Sunday at Marsh Chapel under the shadow of violence now in Pittsburgh, now among the innocent good people of Tree of Life Synagogue. As a people, we are drenched in sorrow. As a people, we are convicted again of a willful acceptance of violence unspeakable as it is unnecessary, a violence fueled by our national chosen insidious devotion to guns. The gun is our God. As a people, we are further complicit in an ancient hideous current of anti-Semitism, awful and horrific, which tragically has some of its centuries-old roots in Christianity in Protestantism, in the Bible, including the Gospel of John, and in the Luther of the Reformation. Yes, Kyrie eleison. Yes, Kyrie eleison. We need this moment this week more than any other in this worship service. Let us bow to confess our sins, including a swaggering love of violence and an historic complicity in anti-Semitism. Let us pray.
God be merciful to me, a sinner. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Job, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word of the Lord. Friends, please join me in saying together verses from Psalm 34 with the Antiphon. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. 
O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Dear friends, let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. They came to Jericho. Oh, sorry. Glory to you, Lord. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large, a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus.
be seated. Overhead, an eagle soars on quiet summer days when the lake is empty. He does not come out on the weekend or when there is noise or when the boats are numerous. But in the quiet, he sails and soars, hunting the lake with an eagle eye, hunting for the next fish meal. You turn over, swimming, floating on your back, and over he goes, right overhead, a beautiful long wingspan against the blue-gray sky. On the off occasion, twice, say a summer, he has his partner with him, his mate, eagles mating as they do for life, but not today. He commands the sky and all below with a grace, a soaring beauty, a regal flight. Beyond the gulls, sparrows, robins, red-winged blackbirds, cardinals, finches, bluebirds, blue jays, even beyond the blue heron. Just there soars the eagle. Karl Barth recited and repeated, the gospel is the freedom of a bird in flight. Freedom. In the summer, our Marsh Sermon series surveyed the expanse, the freeing breadth of hope. This fall, we have listened for the wind chimes of hope, setting us loose, setting us free in presence, in pressure, in peace, in beauty, in healing, in welcome, and in faith. What does the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, bring us today now that we set hope next to freedom? What is the hope of freedom for you, a woman or man of faith? For freedom Christ has set us free, intones the Apostle. Stand fast, therefore, and do not be enslaved again. Paul addresses the Galatians, 53 AD, with regard to the superiority of faith to religion, with regard to the superiority of gospel to tradition, and in affirmation of the gospel freedom to include the Gentiles by grace. Paul's words remembered, recited, and repeated, became the core of the Protestant Reformation 501 years ago, a Reformation we recall and honor the last Sunday each October, so today. The same sense of freedom, the expansion of human freedom, nurtured the Renaissance, the Renaissance of learning, art, music, philosophy, and science, that over several hundred more years has given us our current world culture and life. Market capitalism emerged steadily in the light and under the wingspan of religious and artistic freedoms. Political democracy came along as well in fits and starts, starts and fits which have yet to cease as we are relearning in this decade. The freedom of the person of faith, unshackled from the bonds of institutional religion, grown in the expansion of culture and art, given substance and support through the burgeoning accumulation of social and personal capital, and protected by democratic government's ideals and practices, surely is a great or the great blessed happy victory of the modern era. Or is it? Freedom, the freedom of the person of faith, surely is a great or the great blessed happy victory of the modern era. Or is it? 
In a time when suddenly and unhappily we witness a broad willingness to taste test authoritarianism, a dark willingness to give over personal freedom for the sake of a putative security or a rage for order or a minimization of the more complex forms of self-government, just how precious is freedom and at what cost? You know, a sermon seems like a monologue, but it is not. A sermon is a thicket, a tangled webbing of dialogues, including in the spoken word, the moment of the word. The dialogues include memory, scripture, experience, prayer, illumination, fear, dreams, and the uncanny evocation of the divine. For instance, today's sermon comes in part out of a June dialogue. We had been invited to speak a half dozen times, sermons and lectures, for the New England Annual Conference in session for part of a week in Manchester, New Hampshire. The forgiving and kind Methodists there received these pronouncements with a good grace, more than deserved. You will not be surprised that the Gospel of John appeared now and then that week. After one such presentation, which probably, like the peace of God, passed all understanding and endured forever, one kind fellow paused in reflection on what he had heard. He may have been a retired minister, though with sadness the name escaped collection and so memory. Trailing after his response came this. What you said reminded me very much of Eric Fromm. I stuffed the reference in my so-called memory. Eric Fromm. I had not thought of him in decades. With the eagle soaring in the summer, I dug him out. You see about sermons and dialogues. Here, five months later, the dialogue emerges, continues, continues its wayfaring course in discourse. For Fromm acutely inspected both hope and freedom, the theme of our sermon today. That is, in 1941, the philosopher Eric Fromm wrote a striking seminal book on the question, just how precious is freedom and at what cost? Its English title is Escape from Freedom. Fromm explores the dark side of freedom, religious, cultural, economic, and political. As an expatriate German watching the events in Europe at the time, Fromm was trying to understand from the perspective of social psychology the rise of authoritarianism in his native land, but also, and more broadly and in a general way, to understand how people and groups of people become enthralled with, enamored of, and committed to authoritarianism. His argument is direct and simple. Real freedom is real difficult to handle, and when pressed, people move to escape from the demands of freedom by investment in authority. Freedom is scary. Freedom is demanding. Freedom is dangerous. Freedom is difficult. Better to hide underneath the sturdy voice of an authoritarian leader, preferably one who denies all responsibility for wrong or hurt, the rock-solid social identity of a mass of people, the commitment itself often quite costly to a cause that sets aside personal freedom so lonely and hard and uncertain for group support under authoritarian wings. 
Freedom has a dark side. Our current national dilemma in this unfolding decade of humiliation presses us and makes us present to the question of freedom. It is more than issues of political liberalism, gay rights, women's rights, that besets us. It is more than issues of economic socialism, ample education, and abundant health care that concerns us. It is more than cultural conservatism, unflagging Sunday worship, and vigorous voluntary associations that beckons us, as important as all these are. It is more than a hijacked national narrative, more than a collapse of moral conscience and compass, more than the protections of civil society, the customs and ceremonies of courtesy meant to protect us from the pipe bombs of unbridled, unhinged rhetoric that beset, concern, and beckon us, as important as all these are. It goes deeper. This, our current malaise, it goes down deep into the caverns and caves of freedom. How will we live in hope with freedom? Eric Fromm warned us. He warned us about the dread of freedom, saying, Freedom has made us isolated, anxious, and powerless, which is unbearable. One's brain lives in the 20th century, but one's heart, the heart of most people, still lives in the Stone Age. To feel completely alone and isolated leads to mental disintegration, just as physical starvation leads to death. Enhancing the individual's feeling of aloneness and insignificance, we, be we become more independent, self-reliant, and critical, but we become more isolated, alone, and afraid. He showed us the historical origins and outcomes of freedom, saying, Protestantism made the, individu made the individual face God alone. The principal social avenues of escape in our time are the submission to a leader, as has happened in fascist countries, and compulsive conforming, as is prevalent in our own democracy. He traced the effects of the lack of hope in freedom. For the individual to escape his unbearable feeling of aloneness and powerlessness, he wrote, he has no more pressing need than the one to find somebody to whom he can surrender as, quick, as quickly as possible, that gift of freedom which he, the unfortunate creature, was born with. He unveiled out of his own experience and touching to our own the consequent appeal of authoritarianism, saying, The authoritarian character admires authority and tends to submit to it, but at the same time he wants to be an authority himself. And he described the impact on persons, saying, The authoritarian character loves those conditions that limit human freedom. The individual ceases to be himself. He adopts entirely the kind of personality offered to him by cultural patterns, say in rallies, and he therefore becomes exactly as all others are and as they expect him to be. Love for the powerful and hatred of the powerless is fertile soil for the rise of fascism anywhere.
He pointed to a couple of daily consequences, see if they sound familiar. To lose the sense of discrimination between a decent person and a scoundrel. Or the fear of death lives an illegitimate existence among us. Beloved, be alert on the TV, watchful, be sober, be watchful for nascent authoritarianism in our time. In the daily denigration and disfigurement of facts, of truth, in the weekly demonization of others, of those other, in religion, in race, in nation, in orientation, in the dishonoring of other seats of power, like the judiciary, like the press, like the churches and other religious communities, in the steady denial of fact and responsibility. Yet, Frome also offered a word of hope and freedom, what he called positive freedom, saying, positive freedom consists in the spontaneous activity of the total integrated personality There is only one meaning of life, the act of living itself. In positive freedom, one can relate oneself spontaneously to the world in love and work, in the genuine expression of one's emotional, sensuous, and intellectual capacities. Spontaneity, camaraderie, emotion, intellect, Where you come alongside these, according to Fromm's work, there, we might say, is a hope in freedom. We can appreciate, perhaps, a bit of what Fromm said, even in our immediate setting. The academic world intensifies and crystallizes these tendencies, especially under the aegis and aspect of technology. Spontaneity, emotion, camaraderie, creativity. These sometimes can be hard to find and to nurture in academia. Consider the rigorous path for the professor, for example. Seven punishing years of graduate school following on 16 earlier years of school lead to the PhD. Another seven punishing years of junior appointment lead to tenure. After 30 years, perhaps, one gains tenure. Think of the commitment to excellence, the attention to detail in that life work forged in freedom. You can stray from the path, but not for long, and if you do, you cannot then complete the journey. Consider the rigorous path for the undergraduate student at an institution like ours, for example. Begin with earning a 1420 on the SAT, then continue in classrooms and courses where not some but almost all are as able as you are. Think of the commitment to excellence, the attention to detail in that life work forged in freedom. You can stray from the path, but you cannot then complete the journey. Further, as Sherry Turkle and others are showing us, We have only the slightest inkling thus far of what the massive newer technologies are doing with our students, ourselves, and our world.
We have done a great deal to teach teenagers how to pick up devices, but have done virtually nothing to teach them about how to put them down. Thanks to each one of you for all the challenges of academic life here at Marsh Chapel week by week. You sing the song, you tell the tale, and you ring the bell the bell of freedom. It is a remarkable, uncanny gift you offer. The spontaneity of conversation, the camaraderie of communion, the emotion of song, the intellect of faith. You sing. You sing in four-part harmony. You sing in four-part harmony right here in the heart of a great university. Real freedom, that for which we affirm Christ has set us free, positive freedom, resounds with spontaneous, physical, emotional, mindful, personal work and love. The move away from positive freedom comes from alienation, isolation, anxiety, and fear. The move toward positive freedom comes from independence, responsibility, thinking, feeling, and willing, forged in the soul. Every one of our lives inhabits two dimensions, one psychological and one sociological, personal and social holiness, both. As the community of faith, then, we want to be and become that place and space where one can listen another's soul into life, where the urges and longings toward positive freedom are protected and nurtured, where the demonic drives in culture and economy are called out and known by name, where we have each other's back, where we live and give the benefit of the doubt as a means of grace, where we hold up and hold out and hold on to the freedom of the human being, a place where, like last night in this historic nave of Marsh Chapel, the music of joy, the music of majesty, the music of brilliance, the music of gladness, the music of Mozart, plays the accompaniment to our ongoing daily struggle in freedom, the daily struggle of faith to withstand what we cannot understand, the ongoing struggle of faith to eradicate violence and religious animus from the earth. There is hope in freedom when positive freedom baptizes us in sensuality, emotion, spontaneity, and intellect. Thanks to each one of you for all the challenges of academic life here at Marsh Chapel Week by week, you sing the song, you tell the tale, you ring the bell of freedom. May we continue to live by such hope. Yes, there is hope in freedom, but it comes at a cost and it comes with work. Jürgen Moltmann appends our Benedictus. Hope finds in Christ not only a consolation in suffering, but also the protest of the divine against suffering. That is why faith, 
wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. Amen. Beloved, as we are called to prayer through our singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the manner that will best support the prayers of our community this morning. Sit or stand or kneel at the altar rail. Raise your hands in your place. Respond in a language other than English. However the Spirit is moving you to pray this morning with us. I will set the intention and then we'll say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. You who are one, you who are three, one God in holy community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your freedom to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life. For the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer with and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. 
for the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the health of creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit, relationship. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, and for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations, milestones, and joys of our human life with thanksgiving. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things, we pray in trust as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this Reformation Sunday, whether you are seated here with us in the nave, listening on the radio or internet, or listening later via the podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you seated here in the nave, we ask that you write your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us get to know you better and for you to get to know who you're sitting with as well. Uh, One slight change to our programming this week, there will be no organized ecumenical evening prayer tomorrow at 5.15 p.m. Instead, a meditative space will be available for those seeking a moment of centering. Uh, Given the horrific events which occurred yesterday, uh, we at Religious Life here at Boston University are in the process of organizing a vigil uh, in recognition of Tree of Life congregation and as well as the uh, entire Jewish community as a whole. Uh, It will occur tomorrow in the late afternoon or evening on Marsh Plaza. Please keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website for the exact time. Uh, Today we are accepting new chapter members to our Marsh Chapel community. Those so moved to join Marsh Chapel publicly and formally may do so by coming forward during the final verse of the last hymn, even if your name is not listed in the bulletin. Um, We bring your attention to the announcement in the bulletin regarding trick-or-treat for UNICEF. Collection boxes are available in the Marsh office downstairs for those who are interested in participating. And now I'd like to invite Shruti Gupta to uh, share some information about an upcoming MOVE event for International Education Week. Um, During International Education Week, which is November 12th through 18th, um, MOVE will be hosting the Refugee Ration Challenge, in which participants are challenged to survive on a box of rations for a week. Um, Additionally, uh, we are also hosting a series of related programming, including a film screening of the documentary, another news story, a refugee advocacy panel with representatives from several organizations around Boston, a screening of Casa en Tierra Ajena, and we encourage participants to attend an interfaith Shabbat at Hillel. The cost to participate in the challenge is $10, which covers the cost of the box as well as a contribution to Refugee Immigration Ministries. The ration boxes can be picked up from Marsh on Sunday, November 11th, and you can sign up on the Marsh Chapel website. Thank you. For all, over, for all other chapel-related news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for our offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Merciful, generous, and gracious God, help us to become generous givers that care for our community in a more pluralistic world where we accept everyone regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, or any other components of ideology. Baruch atotai donai Elohim. Amin. Well, beloved, it is a joyful moment when we welcome our newest members into our midst. This is an affirmation of faith on their part, and it is a commitment to love and care on our part. Please join with me in our litany of reception. We welcome you personally and publicly into the Fellowship of Marsh Chapel as you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ renouncing sin and accepting freedom and promising service in his name, will you faithfully participate in the ministries of Mars Chapel by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service?
turning to the congregation. I commend these persons to your love and care. Will you do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love? As members together with you in the body of Christ and in this congregation of Marsh Chapel, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the chapel by our prayers, presence, gifts, and service to the glory of God. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance through. And when dusk comes God's hand to you, the blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, be and abide with each one of us now and forever. 